It's no secret that real estate is one of the best investment vehicles out there. But with all the current uncertainty, how do we know when and where to put our hard-earned money to work for us? It's easy to become distracted by that shiny object or the quote-unquote next best thing. So how do we determine which strategies will best align with our financial goals? Whether you're an active real estate entrepreneur, a passive investor, or looking to get into real estate investing, our goal is to provide investors with the insights and strategies to build our portfolios all while protecting our capital. I'm Danny Nichols. And I'm Chris Thompson. This is the Two Smart Assets Real Estate Investing Podcast. Listen, if you're interested in passive real estate investing, but aren't sure how or where to get started, our passive investing guide walks you through the entire process from understanding the benefits to performing the due diligence. Download your copy today at twosmartassets.com and start taking action. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the show. I'm your host, Daniel Nichols, accompanied by our guest for the week, Rich Summers. And today we are the Two Smart Assets. For those of you not yet familiar with Rich, he is an active real estate investor and entrepreneur who started his real estate investing journey by cashing out his 401k to buy his first apartment building. He now holds a portfolio of apartment buildings and short-term rentals valued in excess of $35 million and has left his corporate job for good. Most recently, Rich founded Fortune Cribs as he discovered a shortage of sophisticated, performance-driven operators and a growing need for an all-in-one acquisition, design, and management firm in the short-term rental space. Rich, it's great to see you, man. Welcome to the show. Yeah, Daniel, thank you for uh, having me on. Uh, I'm definitely uh, excited for this conversation, and it's an honor to be here, so thank you. Man, it's an honor to have you on. Definitely excited to speak to you today. You know, Rich, we like to kick this uh, thing off by hearing more about you, the guests. So let's just start. Tell us more about your background, your story, and the path you took to get to where you are today in your real estate investing career. Yeah, so I grew up middle class. Um, I was taught, like most people from a young age, to go to school, get good grades, go to college, and get a job. And uh, for the most part, that's what I did. Um, I always worked um, a bunch of retail and sales jobs since I was 16 years old. While I was going to college, I got into cell phone sales, really enjoyed it, and I started selling cars. And I I really enjoyed that side of the business. Um, And so I wanted to sell commercial real estate when I got out of college. Graduated in 2008. I interviewed with a couple commercial brokerages, CB Richard Ellis and Grubb and Ellis. And uh, both of them were like, hey, we love your hustle. But as you know, everything was kind of crashing at that time and they took away those internship positions. And Mm. so I find myself um, at the time, it's 2008, not a lot of job opportunity out there. I'm selling cars. I'm trying to figure out what I want to do with my life. And I kind of backed into a job as an air traffic controller. And so I applied. They were hiring people off the street with no experience. This is a government job. And shit luck. They, they, are we allowed to say shit on here? I'm sorry. Uh, go for it. No, go for it. <laughs> and and they, um, they hired me literally right off the street. Um, I went out to Oklahoma City and uh, did that for 11 years. And wow. along the way, about three years ago, I read the book Rich Dad, Poor Dad and remembered real estate. And I'm like, man, I got, I got to get back into real estate. So literally for like a six-month period. I didn't do anything but read books, listen to podcasts. All I did was study real estate investing, apartments, cash flow, learn all the terminology, NOI, um, debt service, all that stuff. And then at the time, I did what society tells us not to do. They say it's too risky and you shouldn't do it. But I cashed out my 401k and I pulled out a home equity line of credit against my 
primary residence here in San Diego and started buying some cash producing real estate. My first deal was a 11 unit apartment building in uh, Cincinnati. And uh, over the last couple of years, um, learned to raise some money, um, partnered with some different people, bought some short-term rentals and built up a portfolio of about 350 uh, units. And uh, today, uh, host the podcast and have a uh, local meetup here in San Diego. And uh, I'm launching a, uh, just launched a uh, short-term rental turnkey business. Uh, so excited, man. So that's kind of my story in a nutshell. Yeah, uh, you, you definitely crushed it, man. Been following you on social media for a while. Obviously familiar with the podcast. You guys are doing great stuff over there. I love that show. Uh, highly encourage all of our listeners to go check that out if you haven't already. As you can see, the multifamily takeoff, go check that out. Uh, Rich, love hearing your story. I do want to hear a little bit more about, uh, you know, cashing out your 401k to get that first apartment building. Like you said, that's, that's unconventional at best, mm-hmm. right? I mean, that's just, you yeah. don't hear that. So, it sounds like you went all in on it, right? You were very confident. How were you able to get that confidence to to, to pursue that, to actually cash out your 401k and just take down that first deal? Yeah. Well, I mean, first of all, I knew I needed cash flow so I could quit my job and get out of the W-2. And if you look at the 401k and study it, it doesn't produce any cash flow. Um, and there's a lot of different things in there. But what gave me the confidence to do it was really hanging out with different people that were invested in real estate and they had already done it before. And I started taking their advice versus, to be honest with you, a lot of friends, family members, coworkers at the time, they told me that it was too risky. But instead of taking their advice, I started hanging out with others that were actually already doing it. And that's what gave me the confidence to move forward. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, right? You got to put yourself in the right environment and surround yourself with the right people. And that's exactly what you did. So I'd love to hear that. So let's let's fast forward a bit. You're deep in the real estate game now. You know, you're taking down deals, co-hosting a mm-hmm. podcast. You're doing the short-term real business, which we'll, we'll definitely dive into shortly. But, you know, you've done well enough, like you said, to leave your W-2 job. Where in that process did you decide to leave your corporate job? Yeah. So um, during the middle of the pandemic, this is like fall of 2020, um, I just started going into work and I just started realizing like, I don't even care to be here. Um, I just had no motivation to go in there. And I literally started like looking at the workplace as like, it was holding me back from like accomplishing my dreams and like leveling up. And so I just put a plan in place and I said, Hey, in 90 days, I'm out of here. I don't know exactly how I'm going to do it. I don't know if I'm going to have everything I need, but at the time I had about 85% of like the cash flow and like the income I needed to, to feel comfortable. Um, but I was just like, you know what, I'll, I'll figure it out. And that's what I did. And fast forward, um, it's been exactly a year since I left now. And it was the best decision I've ever made. I mean, I've worked a lot of retail jobs like throughout the years and, and this air traffic job as well. I mean, it was a lot of six day work weeks, working nights, weekends, and really just being like a slave to your job. And like, so this is the first time in my life to where I had a little bit of freedom. I can control my time. And um, quite frankly, when you have this free time to focus on building your own thing and your own dream, um, what you can accomplish is like night and day. It's not even fathomable. You know what I mean? Absolutely. I, you know, I absolutely love to hear that. And if, if you have the vision and you can actually like, take action, I think that's the biggest thing, right? And that's exactly what you did. And, you know, there are a number of aspiring full-time real estate investors out there, right? Some of who are listening to the show uh, right now. So, you know, uh, you talk to a lot of investors all the time, and I'm sure some are looking to take my, or make a similar transition to yours, right? Out of the W-2 mm-hmm. job. What advice do you, or would you give to someone considering making the same move you did? Yeah. So I definitely don't suggest like just burning the bridges and and jumping into something brand new without a game plan in place. I definitely suggest using your nights and weekends and like your free time outside of the work job to like 
focus on your your new venture, whatever it might be. So, you know, if it's real estate uh, investing, for example, like dive into it, go buy a couple assets, get it acclimated, make sure you like it and then come up with a plan. And I think once you have about 70% of what you think you need, just do it and commit to it. It might be a little bit scary, but at the end of the day, like you're betting on yourself, right? And if your back is up against the wall, you're going to figure out a way. Yep. I love to hear that, man. That's great advice. I think that's usually when I think about it myself, right? Because I hold a WSU job right now and it's like, hey, listen, as soon as I get to a certain percentage, it might not be 100%. It definitely won't be 100%. But as soon as I get there, I'm going to take that leap. And I think that's great advice that uh, all our listeners should take with them. 100%. So, and here, and here's another thing to add of it. Like all those risks that people will tell you and society tells you, you know, like, you know, they're real, right? So put some weight on those risks. But at the end of the day, I could be, or, or you could be 85 years old one day, laying in your bed, staring at the ceiling, kicking yourself because you never fucking tried anything in life. How about that risk? Because that's a risk that most people don't talk about. Yeah, honestly, man, that gives me the chills just thinking about it. You know, that's, it's, I, I went to look back at that and just realize that you didn't even try, man, that's, that's got to be one of the worst feelings you could possibly ever have. Right. So mm-hmm. I, I couldn't agree with you more, man. And, and what's the worst that can happen? You leave and six months later, you're like, you know what? This didn't work out. Well, guess what? They'll hire you right back. And then you're in the same place that you were today. Yeah, that's the exact point, right? Especially in today, right? You're going to be able to get yeah. another job. If you quit a job, you're going to be able to get another one that quickly. It's not 100%. It, I, I totally agree. So, you know, kind of transition a little bit. We mentioned your bio. You've been involved in both the multifamily and the short-term rental space. So, you know, both niches have seemed to perform pretty well recently, you know, for a longer mm-hmm. time too. But uh, as we move into the new year, are you keeping your focus on on both those niches or gradually shifting to put more of your efforts into one or the other? Yeah. So currently about 97, 98% of the portfolio is apartments. Um, And what we've noticed is these deals uh, as of the last six months or so have been more and more challenging to uh, make pencil when we underwrite them. And we bought a couple um, larger deals in in 2021. And uh, those deals aren't out there anymore. Um, cap rates have compressed, yields are low, there's a lot of competition. Um, if there's a, a, a listed deal, a broker listed deal that actually is a decent opportunity in terms of the pricing guidance in a good market, um, there might be 45 property tours and 30 offers. And by the time you get to best and final, um, you're going to have to overpay to win that property. And, and we're seeing like what these, these deals trade for, you know, because we have a lot of deals hit our inbox and you know, sometimes the, the guidance won't even make sense. We're like, dude, this doesn't even pencil, but we'll go back two months later and follow up with the broker to see what they traded for. And they'll trade for like 5 million more than like what the guidance was. And we're like, I don't know what they're seeing, which is crazy. Um, and so, you know, we're selling our first property that we bought 32 units in Indianapolis. Um, it's a C-class property. It should close next week, but uh, we're going to actually 1031 those proceeds to grow our short-term rental side of the business. Um, those short-term rentals that we've kind of backed into owning um, over the last couple of years have stayed, even with the pandemic, hundred percent full, they cash flow like crazy. The tax benefits are awesome. And so we decided, you know what, sometimes you got to take what the defense has given you. And so we're going to, we're going to focus our attention this year on growing the short-term side of the portfolio. We're going to launch a fund with our investors. Um, we're going to probably do a $5 million fund come April and go buy $20 million worth of short-term rentals in select markets around the country. Um, and, yeah, we're excited for it because we're going to be able to pr- provide a lot of uh, cash flow for our investors that that they're not going to be able to get in the apartment space. 
Uh, I love to hear that, man. And you guys go out and taking action on that. I think is fantastic. So in terms of, you know, obviously, you know, multifamily is saying right now is pretty hot. Um, are you guys going to keep your thumb on the pulse of that, you know, going forward as you move kind of more in the short term space, or are you guys just kind of relinquishing uh, the multifamily in general? Yeah. So we're, we're going to continue to manage the assets that we have currently. Um, we are going to take the foot off the gas pedal in terms of like acquisition, because sometimes it's like, we don't want to waste our time. Right. And, and to a certain degree, when you're, you're competing against 50 other buyers, it's like, I only need to look at so many deals and, and, and to realize that, like, hey, this is probably not the best use of our time. So we're going to be focusing about 90% of our attention on, on scaling the, the short terms. And we'll still take a look at some multifamily stuff if a good deal drops, you know, hits our inbox. But outside of that, it's, it's going to be mostly short term rentals this year. Love to hear that. Love to hear that. And I have a question, you know, we kind of talked about multifamily getting high price in terms of short-term rentals. Are you seeing any markets that are kind of getting hot as well? Kind of maybe overpriced just in terms of buying those properties to use as short-term rentals? Yeah. Um, we're seeing that in a lot of markets around the, the country right now. I mean, you're seeing median home prices up 30, 40, and in some cases, 80, 90% in the last year um, because of short-term rentals. So the reason the reason for that is because the an outside investor can come in and pay significantly more than the everyday buyer that's buying that house to live in with their family because they're going to make so much cash flow by buying it. Um, and so you're seeing a lot of um, change in, reg in regulations and um, I think the regulatory environment is the biggest risk to this asset class, 100%. You know, and I do want to talk about that and we can get into it right now, actually. Um, so I live mm -hmm. out in Colorado and, uh, you know, I've been looking to, you know, get into the short-term rental space as well. Uh, but out here, the regulatory environment is very burdensome, right? Especially in certain mm -hmm. areas. It's just, it's just not, um, it's not a good area for that. So I think you're spot on with that. That's a huge risk. You know, definitely if you're, if you're listening to the show and you want to get into short-term rentals, be aware of the regulatory, you know, environment in your area or wherever you're purchasing, right? Uh, mm -hmm. That's absolutely, it's absolutely spot on. So um, I do want to ask a question. So, you know, Obviously, we're finding the short-term space very interesting and it's getting more and more attention. I'm curious, just on a personal, your personal story, how did you get started with short-term rentals? Yeah, so I wouldn't suggest uh, any of your listeners start this way. I kind of backed into it and I didn't really know what I was doing. But I had a um, pre-approval from our local credit union um, for a high leverage loan. And um, so I, I found a new build out here in San Diego. It was in a neighborhood that I was very familiar with. And um, it was a two bedroom, two bath condo. And I thought, hey, I'll pick this up and I'll see what it can do on Airbnb. And I did. I had no idea what it would bring in. <laughs> Um, and so I was taking a risk, right? I was, right. I was taking on a, a $3,400 mortgage payment. Um, and then, you know, the, the cost associated with furnishing this property with not really knowing how much it was going to bring in. And, you know, three months after we closed the pandemic hits, all my reservations cancel. Um, and so I'm like, fuck dude, maybe I made a mistake, but, um, was able to weather the storm and this thing just kept chugging along. And it was like around May during the pandemic, I realized I saw that this thing was still performing really well. And, um, at the time I was like, man, well, what if I pick up another one? What else is out there? And so there was a seller right, right around May, like right when the, the pandemic first dropped and they had built this like gorgeous property. It was a three, two house. And they built this like really nice ADU in the back. It had a rooftop with a little bit of an ocean view and they had furnished it and it was going to be a short-term rental and they just finished it and the pandemic hit. And so they got scared and they listed it on mother's day. And so I, I, I called the listing agent right away and I said, Hey, I'd love to come tour your property. I showed up on mother's day morning and it turns out the listing agent was the seller. And I found this opportunity. It was priced very well. 
I'm like, this is not going to require any money like to furnish it. It's designed perfectly. It's going to do great. Um, and so I told her, I said, hey, I'll give you whatever you want for it. Let's lock it up right <laughs> now. And so I uh, ended up locking it up. And that thing's been cash flowing like crazy. I mean, I got that for very, very little money down. I didn't have to furnish it. I literally just closed on it, and put it on online. And that thing's been bringing in anywhere from, you know, fifteen dollars to $18,000 every single month. Crushing yeah. it, man. I absolutely yeah. love to hear that, man. That's, that's fantastic. So you've kind of taken this, this short-term thing and kind of run with it, right? You know, we're going to get into it here in a second. You know, have you created a, you're creating a fund and you're also creating mm-hmm. your own business, right? Out of that. And so, you know, from your experience with these properties you've done right now, you've obviously probably established or seen some some challenges or at least talked to other short-term real estate investors who have run into some common challenges. You know, can you can you identify what some of those challenges are with short-term rentals and, and, and how you're be, be able to overcome those? Yeah. So I'll I'll outline a few challenges. One of them we already alluded to, it's the regulatory environment. So um, there's certain states out there in certain cities that are a lot more short-term rental friendly. So to give you an example, um, Arizona, uh, Indiana, and Tennessee are three that I know of that the governors of those states have actually signed something into law that says um, it's it's highly disencouraged for local cities and municipalities within those states to heavily regulate short-term rentals because their stance is like, hey, we want the local tourism. We want to encourage tourism. It floats our local economy. It stimulates our local businesses and restaurants. Um, so I would definitely do your research and make sure wherever you go into um, has some, it's it's not a big deal if, if they have regulations set up because a lot of the cities actually have uh, taxes that your guests will pay. And mm. so essentially, if they have like a system that's already set up and they're earning tax dollars from your short-term rentals, that's not a bad thing. It's actually a good thing because the government or the city is kind of like your partner, if you would, right? They're sure. making money when you do. Um, another another risk or another challenge for a lot of uh, operators in this space, and this is this is what I identified, is, is there's a lot of... Um, amateur kind of people that backed into this business and they don't really have a sophisticated approach. Um, And so there's a big gap in the marketplace and there's an opportunity for someone that actually has a little bit of wherewithal, which I'm sure a lot of your listeners do if they're listening to the show. Um, If you can have a little bit of wherewithal and be a little bit sophisticated and and be somewhat educated, you don't have to be great, just be decent and put a little bit of thought into this, these listings, you can do very, very well. And you can, you can control that, that marketplace. Yeah, I love to hear that. That makes makes yeah. complete sense. And I kind of want to roll this into, you know, your company that we talked to, uh, we talked about earlier, Fortune Cribs, right? Let's talk about that, your new company. What is it? And, you know, why did you build it? Was it just because you saw an opportunity or what's that about? Yeah, exactly. So, so like I mentioned, man, I, I, I recognize this gap in the marketplace and I, I identified a need for a service that was all in one turnkey because you know I hear a lot of people out there they say hey I'd love to do a short term rental the cash flow sounds great but it just it just seems like too much work and I don't want to learn how to do it and um, so I came up I came up with the solution it's called Fortune Cribs and we're an all in one turnkey short term rental firm and so if you work with us we'll actually go and identify you a property in a market that kind of fits our mold in terms of like projected revenue and class of of, of product and we'll uh, furnish, design it, we'll get it live and we'll manage it for you. And all you do is sit back, you own 100% of the property, but you just sit back and collect one ACH payment a month with an owner statement. And that's it. So it's completely hands off for our clients. 
Man, that's a beautiful thing. And you know, I've heard we've heard the term on the show turnkey a few times, right? And you're mm-hmm. you're familiar with turnkey properties, but there is a there is a spectrum of being passive, right? You've heard turnkey, mm-hmm. and then you've heard you know passive investing in syndications, or maybe even just investing in single family rentals, right? So, is this how passive actually is this versus you know whether you're on you know managing single family rentals or investing passively in a syndication? Is it is it really passive or is it more just a little bit active in there? Yeah. So for our clients under Fortune Cribs, it's 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 very passive. The only thing that they'll have to do is get a loan. So we have different mortgage lenders that we work with. Um, you can get a lot of these uh, properties for anywhere from 10, 15 to 20% down. And um, they'll have to sign on the loan. Um, but once it closes, it's it's very, very passive. I mean, we'll we'll pay the utilities, we'll take care of all the repair and maintenance, we'll do the turns, the cleaning. Um, everything is completely done by us and the accounting, all that. So really um it's 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 entirely passive from start to finish outside of you know signing the loan documents. Sure. That's that's fantastic. I think a lot of our listeners are gonna appreciate that and and hearing that and being able to get into that kind of that space without having to get their hands really dirty, right? Because I know there's a lot of people who right. want to get more passive into the short-term space just so they can just so they can participate, right? Right. Well, another cool thing is, is like, you know, if you go and invest in a syndication or a, or a fund, let's say, um, yeah, it's passive, but you're, 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 you're investing with a bunch of other limited partners and, sure. and you're still taking a risk, right? You're putting a lot of trust and faith in the operators that it's going to work out. But like with this model under Fortune Cribs, you own 100% of the property. So if it doesn't work out with Fortune Cribs, you can literally just move on and find another operator to manage your property for you or you could do it yourself. But the point is, is you own 100% of the property and you make the ultimate um, decision whether you want to refinance it or sell it or what you want to do, right? Absolutely. And I, I feel like there's a lot of people who really appreciate these services that are that you guys are providing, right? Are you finding that more and more investors who are getting into the short-term space are looking for a one-stop shop experience, kind of like what you guys are providing? I am. No, I, I totally am. I, I think there's a, a big need in the marketplace for something like this um, because you see a lot of turnkey rentals, right? Um, you see a lot of turnkey rental companies that go and rehab properties in Memphis, let's say, um, in Oklahoma City, and 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 they'll get these these filled up with tenants and uh, they'll manage them and then they'll sell them to an investor. But I mean, you're going to make what maybe a hundred bucks a month, two hundred sure. bucks a month. Um, you know, like this 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 space in short term rentals, the cash flow is crazy. I'll give you an example. So I'm closing in on the 14th of this month. So in about 10 days, I'm closing on a property in Scottsdale. It's a two and a half million dollar deal. I'm going to put about 500 into renovating the whole thing. It's going to be nine bedrooms, eight bath. It's going to have a pickleball court, basketball court, volleyball court. It's going to be an Airbnb compound. Um, but the comps are bringing in, this thing's projected to bring in anywhere from 500 to $700,000 a year in revenue. And with short-term rentals, about 50% of that gross revenue drops to the bottom line is your net cash flow after all um, expenses and after debt service. So you just don't see that when you're going and picking up a long-term rental. Yeah, that's people are like, oh, I'm making 150 bucks a door. I'm like, dude, that doesn't even get me out of bed. hundred <laughs> you know? percent, man. Yeah. Especially with those kind of returns. I mean, why, why would you even look at a, a long-term rental? You know, I mean, it, it yeah. doesn't make sense in the market, yeah. you know, and I'm, so, I'm kind of curious about, you know, the services, um, you know, you got different people coming in. So you have different clients, right? They have different needs. Mm-hmm. Some want to buy, you know, $500,000 property. Some want to buy a $2 million property or whatever, you know, mm-hmm. are you got, are you, are you servicing different arrays of clients and, you know, different kind of properties, whether it be an actual vacation property, like a mountain property or beach property, or maybe something more like, um, you know, urban, like in the city, uh, going for working, uh, class people. 
Yeah. So we're targeting properties that we are confident can bring in at least $250,000 in revenue per year. Um, we, we want our, our clients to win. Um, and so by doing that, we have to strategically select the right properties in the right markets. Um, you know, it takes just as much work and effort to go and take down a property that's going to bring in 50 K a year than it does 250 a year. So you might as well go and, 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 and find the property that's going to bring in a little bit more revenue and you don't have to go buy a two and a half million dollar luxury home to find the properties that bring in that kind of revenue. There's plenty of, uh, areas and markets around the country, and we have software that can pull up a lot of this data. Um, that you can you can you can pick up for relatively cheap, especially when you're putting ten percent down. That will bring in to two fifty three hundred a year in gross revenue. I'd love to hear that, man. I, I know a lot of our listeners will be eager to learn more. You know, and with that being said, you know, Rich has been a great conversation. But tell listeners where they can find out more about you know Fortune Cribs, the fund, and how they can connect with you. Yeah. So you can follow me on Instagram. It's at the, uh, I'm sorry, at rich underscore summers. That's S O M E R S. Uh, fortune cribs website is, uh, fortunecribs.com. And then, um, if you want to check out our podcast, it's the multifamily takeoff. And then, uh, if you want to check out my syndication company where we buy apartments and we're going to be launching this fund, uh, in April, that's a uh, pack three capital.com P A C the number three capital.com. Highly encourage all of our listeners to go check out what Rich is doing, doing great stuff. Uh, the podcast is fantastic. Love hearing the short-term stuff, man. Super excited about that. Um, but yeah. So Rich, thank you again for coming on the show. I really appreciate you speaking with me today. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me on, Daniel. I appreciate it. It was fun. Hey, thanks for listening to today's episode. Head over to iTunes to subscribe to the show. And while you're there, we really appreciate you leaving a rating and written review. If you have any questions or topics you'd like to hear on the show, Connect with us on social media or through our website at twosmartassets.com. We look forward to speaking to each and every one of you. Talk to you soon.